Welcome back to Air Grievances. My name is Caleb. We're picking up on part two of my interview with Angela and Joshua Bow. Two, two people who I, I hold close to my heart, and I, I genuinely don't know what my life would look like without the influence of these two people. I know that sounds corny as fuck, and I don't give a fuck. So, please plug in, open up your ear holes, and listen to this interview, because it's some good stuff. Um, Joshua and Angela had a lot to talk about. We had a lot to talk about. And then gibberish. So, here we go. process um <laughs> it's a very interesting story and i'm actually trying to like sort of write an essay about it because i think it's very unusual um i worked at a christian nightclub which it sounds bizarre it sounds <laughs> yeah. bizarre and trust me it was very bizarre um, um so when I was in my 20s I lived in a community house um and most of the people who lived there worked at this Christian nightclub um and we would most of us in the house worked for like merchandise and hospitality so if a band would come in, you know, two of us would sit at their merch table, or, you know, we'd ask them what they wanted, if they wanted a smoothie, or a buffalo wings, or whatever, you know, we'd get it for them, yeah, yeah, um, and, I mean, in high school, I, I was very involved in the Christian music scene, it was pretty much like I wanted to rebel but I knew I couldn't listen to bands like the Dead Kennedys or you know Rancid and like all these other bands because I was like I can't be a Christian and listen to a song called Too Drunk to Fuck like (laughs) it's you know so one of my best friends who's still my best friend to this day um introduced me to like this Christian music scene and it's so funny looking back because it was just like mirror images of these secular bands but only mm. there was like a Christian spin on it. Christian version of everything. Mm-hmm. Like there was even a Christian spin on the Misfits, which is unbelievable. Um a lot of the people I hung out with in high school were big Misfits fans, but if you know 
the charming lyrics of Danzig talking about eating a baby or raping your mother. Like, it's not, it's, I mean, I can't go to youth group and be like, I raped your mother today, and it doesn't matter to me. Like, um, and so I would find these weird Christian alternatives, like, the Christian alternative for the Misfits were called the Deadlines, and they actually had a pretty good song called Go Go to the Graveyard, and they, it was just all, like, horror punk, but they were like, no, it's, you know, we're talking about zombies and death and vampires because... As a Christian, you need to die to your sin, and like it was so. Wow, that's a stretch. It yeah. was so convoluted, and even my brother, bless him, um, was like, read the liner notes. Like he would hear me listening to this band, and he'd be like, "Okay," and then I'd be like, "No, they're Christian," and then I would like show him the. Lyrics and talking about like I died to my sin and now I'm in a graveyard or something, and um, and he's like decode it. He just like two words was like, eh, that's bullshit. And I was like, no, you don't know anything, Um, so I was very very much invested in this Christian music scene, and as. You know, I I put these people on a pedestal that they shouldn't have been on, and then when I worked behind the scenes, I saw just how fucked up it was. Mm. And, like, you know, like, these people who were just, like, my heroes were like, hey, do you know an alley I can go to to go smoke some weed? Like, (laughs) you know, and, like... That's fine now. I was like, yeah, if I was in a Christian band, I'd probably smoke a ton of weed because it would be, you know, very taxing on right. my mental health. Um, but uh, just like the big letdown, and then I don't know, like dating a ton of guys from the Christian music scene, and just like at the best, they were selfish dicks, at the worst, I was assaulted Mm. so like just the like these people are going around the world spreading the gospel and then when you actually get to know them you're like they're selfish pricks you know and you know I was I was physically violated by one of those pricks like and it I mean that if anything, that makes you very much question your faith. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was already questioning at the time before the the assault happened, but um, after that, I was like, okay, I really need to take stock of what I'm believing in here. And, I mean, I didn't go to seminary, but I kind of did like a deep dive into, okay... I believe this, but, you know, what? what's the history behind it? Why, why do I believe this? Right, right. That was the big question. I mean, after this, you know, traumatic thing happened, and, like, basically, like, all, the, all this questioning leading up to that, but that was definitely the straw that broke the camel's back. Sure. Yeah. Um, I was like, okay, I've been... 
believing this for so long, why? Why? I need to really get down to why I believe in this. And the more I looked into the history of the Bible, the more I looked into this, I I just ended up with more questions than answers. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, finally renouncing my faith was one of the most freeing things I've ever done. And, I mean, that's not the story for everyone, but it's the story for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I've never felt better. So did, did your circumstances lead you to examining your faith? And, like, if, if it had been in maybe any other circumstances, it, it was really just the fact that the faith didn't make sense. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah. It sounds like it wasn't necessarily the circumstances that made you lose your faith, but it was your circumstances that made you examine your faith. Yes. And then when you finally examined it, Absolutely. it didn't make any fucking sense. Absolutely. And I think about that a lot, actually. If I if I was in a circumstance that if I didn't run into the situations that I did working at that nightclub or being a part of this scene or whatever, if all of those interactions were positive. Mm. I would. I'm sure I'd still be a Christian. Wow. Mm. But I'm. I mean, on the other side of history, now that I'm older, I mean, it sucked ass when I was going through it. But <laughs> I mean, on the other side of history, I'm like, I. I'm really glad. Right. Like that pushed me to examine what I was believing instead of just this is what I always believed, right. and you know. Like, the freedom of thinking for yourself and being like, okay, I'm a a capable enough person to examine this and really dig deep into, if this is the most important thing in my life, I really need to examine this carefully. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's okay. And just having that, I guess, Mm self-respect enough to do that. Being that so much of that was taken away from me in my 20s, but reclaiming that self-respect and being like, okay, if this is the most important thing, I really need to be on top of this, and I really need to know exactly what I believe. And having that motivation, and even though that led me to atheism, I'm extremely happy that happened because it it was such like a empowering and freeing thing instead of this is just what you know my great grandmother grandmother parents that like it was me taking control of what I thought I believed in and really examining it for myself and then making my own conclusion Mm -hmm. and it sucks that I had to go through trauma to get to that way Mm -hmm. but I mean if it was all sunshine and roses (laughs) <laughs> yeah. What was the everything was beautiful and nothing hurt? Yeah. Like uh ignorance is bliss. Yeah. If everything was positive throughout that interaction within the Christian music scene, I'm I'm sure I would still be a Bible believing, church going Christian. Right. Phenom. And it's phenom. <laughs> and it's I mean, I'm very thankful. That I was, I made a choice to examine that. I mean, I'm not thankful of the 
shit that happened to me. I mean, I would I would never be thankful or wish that upon my worst enemy. But um, I'm I'm thankful I was led to a point where I could examine stuff for myself right. instead of just and it was it was scary as hell mm. because all of my friends including the group house that I lived in I was like if they find out I'm an atheist boom you have no friends boom you have no place to live you know Your like so, whole social structure my evaporate. whole social structure would crumble so I mean, there were several years when I was questioning, but I was like, I mean, even if I don't believe this is real, like, I, I, can't, I can't right, admit this even to myself, it's or I will have no friends or no place to live. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just the hard truth. And it, like what you were talking about earlier with people, you know, like a pastor not feeling it some Sunday but he has to look out for his economic well-being for his family. Like, that was kind of something that I was dealing with, because I was like, if people know I'm an atheist, we kicked out of this group house. Right, sure. I have club three degrees, won't, won't look at me. Oh, I shouldn't have said the word. It's fine. No, you said that. That's fine. You're not it doesn't oh. exist anymore. Oh, yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. Um... They won't have anything to do with me. All of my friends are Christians. I will have no friends. No, and and in your 20s, when you're so insecure... Oh, I mean, I was really insecure in my sure. 20s. I'm still insecure in my 30s. Same. And um, having that prospect of being like, I will lose all of my friends. Like, that I'm was terrifying. enough of a motivator to be like, okay, I'm questioning this, but I'm sure as hell I'm not going to talk to them. Talk to any of my friends about it. Right. Yeah. So the kind I don't of know. cultural pressure. Well, yeah. Even oh, after, yeah. Even after we got together, um, we would go out with some of your friends from that group, and um, oh yeah, I would just say that you know like I don't I'm not a believer, and Angela would like you know get embarrassed you know that yeah. I would say that because it was so um, ingrained. Yeah. yeah, and they were like, sure, oh, sure. so how's that working? You know, like <laughs> and then be like, oh, it's it's good. Uh, it's it's functional and it's I feel like I'm in a healthy place and they're like oh, oh really yeah and then on the way home I was like I can't believe you told my friend my friends are atheists like I was still very yeah, much you, sure yeah yeah like now you're at a point where you're you're you've grown comfortable in your own skin about it right right but it takes time you know mm-hmm. so oh like, it takes time and yeah, and, wow. and trials I, and, and tears feel, and anger like and. The, the reason you were mad, you weren't mad, the reason you were embarrassed was because you thought, like, I outed you. Yeah. In a certain mm, way. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I didn't mean to, it just came up in a, in some conversation, they were like, oh, so, you know, what do you think about this? And I just said something, and I was like, shit, I just... Well, it was that. so funny, after you said that... And then Angela was like... <laughs> yeah, it's like a huge swig of my drink. Um, no, it was so it was so funny. Like it's still ingrained Wasn't in my that head. A pizza Luce? It was that Pizza Luce. Yeah, right. um, <laughs> so you guys are having and, the same memory right now. Yeah, yeah. and um, it was so funny because after you said that, one of the friends was like, "I can't." <laughs> he just said really quietly, and he's like, "I can't even imagine my life if I wasn't a Christian." Wow. 
and I, and I was like, it made, so it made me feel, it made me feel like two inches tall. Like, right. Basically, like I just read it as I would be a murdering rapist. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Well, and, that's, and I was like, that argument cracks oh, me up. Oh my god. Like, I just kind of had like a little existential crisis, and it definitely was. I felt like you were outing me. Yeah. Right. Right. And because like, they were like, how could she be with him if he was a if they're unequally yoked? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Unequally, yeah. Right. And I was like. Oh shit! And then the other guy was like, "And it's just as serious as a heart attack." I can't even imagine my life without this. Right. And And I'm like, now I feel like a shitbag. Right. But I have friends who use that argument like. Well, if I wasn't a Christian, what would keep me from raping my neighbor's wife? Oh my and it's like, God. what would what? keep you? What would keep you? You know what I'm saying? So like, I'd be like, first of all, so you want to rape your neighbor's wife. Yeah, exactly. Uh, second exactly. of all, like, you need therapy. Third of all, like, <laughs> Jesus isn't going to stop you from doing that. You know? Right. Like, it's, that argument, like, I can imagine bizarre. my life if I weren't a Christian. It's like... Okay, well then maybe you need to rethink your fucking life. Right? That sounds to me. Like I know it's w- such a terrifying argument. They like equate Christianity with breathing, right? Like I can't imagine my life if I didn't breathe. Yeah, you could. You'd be dead. You know, and um, if uh, tied to any sort of religion or any sort of ideological ideological path, so whatever philosophy you accrue to, if you if you say you can't understand your life without it. Maybe you're leaning on it too much because yes. no yes. no set of beliefs yes. has the answers for everything. There's always, no matter what faith you are, there's always something that's going to come up that's going to make you say, "Hey, I don't think this is the answer." And people are terrified of that and looking meaninglessness and uh, nothingness in the face is terrifying for humans because we're not good at that. Like, we can't even... Even when people talk about heaven, like, heaven seems terrifying to me because it's forever. Mm-hmm. Um, not just a billion years, but infinity. Like, even heaven or hell, they sound the same to me. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so we're going to sing worship songs forever? <laughs> forever. 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 Seriously. If you... I like songs. I like singing. I'm not good at it, but I like them. But singing even my favorite, like, yes. hundred songs, like, forever, sounds even like Even your hell. favorite concert. It sounds like On hell. loop. Even forever. watching the Vikings win the Super Bowl <laughs> over and over and over again with different players sounds like hell. It's like, it's, who has the conception of hell where, basically, you go to Vegas, and every slot you win, every game you play, you win. Every girl you go out with, you still Sounds win. boring as like, shit. But it keeps happening forever, and like it take <clears throat> like the prospect of losing actually is more interesting than the prospect mm. of winning. So when you win over and over and over and over again, you're like, Vegas fucking sucks. Every time I go to the craps table, I win. Every time I do roulette, I say roulette. Roulette. Yeah, I say roulette. Every time I do roulette, I. I, I win, right? You know, every time I play blackjack, I win. And when you take away the the, the threat of loss, mm-hmm. it just becomes boring and stale, and it com- becomes hell to you. It's just like if uh, Peter Rollins says this: like if he had a gift where he could touch you on the forehead and you would live forever. All right, if yes. you, But if you couldn't enjoy your life, you wouldn't be a god; you'd be a devil. You yeah. Know? So I think I almost did an Irish accent there. <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah, Peter. You, you wouldn't be a god; you'd be a devil. Be a devil. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's the object cause of desire. <laughs> it's it's that notion that longevity is like my grandparents are in their nineties and they're gone. They're not the same people they were. They're very different. They're not. I wouldn't want to live the way they're living, but they're very healthy. You know. Um, and I was just talking to my father tonight, and he said, yeah, I think, I hope Grandpa makes it to his birthday, which is June 5th, which is just a couple days away. And I'm like, is he really doing that bad? Because he's living on his own. He's by himself. Right. And he's like, yeah, maybe. And I'm like, oh, great. And he's, my dad's like, I think I'm going to go home and find him dead. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, Dad, it's pretty morbid. Like, why don't you just chill? Um, so, uh, do you have more to talk about your deconstruction? Or you? you... No, I think that was pretty much it. It's it's I'm such sorry. a it's I such a weird deconstruction story. Like I think I everyone's like, deconstruction story. Yeah, but I feel like yours is. I mean, not more valid because mine. I feel mine was valid, but it, very valid. Well, yeah, it's it's the hair that broke the camel's back. It's it's life making you examine. Right. The thing that I did. But, but, but the more fact valid that, than mine. No. But the fact that you went through... You were sexually through, assaulted. That's, yes. Yeah. But that's like, you... That's pretty but, fucking valid. That's like pretty fucking valid. That's like 200. I'm like at a 30. By someone in a Christian band. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, on, yeah. The, on stage, they're talking about being a Christian, and then off stage, they assault women. Right. Like... And think they're justified doing it. And think they're justified in uh, doing that's it. that's they're doing the mold work. But... Oof. The fact that you like yours was more, I guess the academia, like more studious. I find it studious. Like, I mean, I'm sure Joshua knows more about the Bible than I do. I mean, he studied Greek. He studied all of this stuff. And I mean, I I know in my heart that like not one is more valid than the other. Sure, sure. But it just feels kind of. I don't know, like cheesy to me that I lost my faith because of the Christian music industry. Mm. Because I see it as like just such a joke. Like Right. But it's not I don't I don't think it was because of the industry maybe the industry was like you said the hair that broke the camel's back, but the camel's back was broken because this shit didn't add up in your head and that's what it took to make you acknowledge right. that. It right. already didn't add up. Like you right. said, you are you were already doubting shit. I was already questioning. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, not at all was it because of. <laughs> so the Christian nightclub was like an alley away from. Oh, we just talked about it. Pizza Luce. Um, there are several pizza chains in the Twin Cities called Pizza Luce. Brings us to our sponsor for this episode. I know. Pizza Luce. Tweet, tweet at Pizza Luce. <laughs> Give us free pizza, Pizza Luce. Um, excellent pizza. Um, and there was, there was a Pizza Luce literally an alley away from the Christian nightclub. Okay, okay. Um, and I had so many band members be like, because we were definitely an alcohol-free facility, mm. um, you could get a smoothie, you could get a coffee, whatever. Um, you, yeah. could n- you could caffeine not... Caffeine is okay. Yeah. You could not smoke on the premise. No nicotine, just caffeine. No nicotine, no alcohol. <laughs> so, um, ecstasy was fine, though. No, I'm just kidding. Um, MDMA. Okay. <laughs> okay, totally fine. No. Um, so I had so many band members 
be like, hey, I really need a cigarette. Where can I go? Hmm. And by by no means was that something that diminished my faith. I was like, hmm. yeah, these are... It actually made me more empathetic right. to the bands that were coming in. I was like, these are just dudes. People, yeah. Like, they're just dudes struggling in a band, and, you know... They're real. They're real people, and dude is stressed out and needs a Right. Yeah, sure. And I'd be like, go down the alley, and then of course there were other dudes who were like, I need a beer so bad, and or a shot or whatever they mm-hmm. needed, and a heroin. By no, yeah, shut up, heroin. And at the time, I was totally straight edge. Um, I think just out of fear, um, just out of fear of judgment if I started drinking. So, um, if these band members were like, oh, I need a beer, or like, I need a whiskey so bad, I I had no problem being like, go down the alleyway to Pizza Luce. Pizza Luce owes me a free pizza for how many people I've sent to them for alcohol alcohol and pizza. Um, (laughs) Hashtag fuck hell. (laughs) So, I mean, that definitely wasn't something that diminished my faith it actually it made me almost respect mm, the yeah, bands sure. more yeah just because how stressful would that be like it's just it's stressful enough being a touring band oh yeah oh with the added with the added christian yeah with the added uh, if christian a band. fan sees me smoking a cigarette oh my god yeah yeah, but, well, that's the same thing for pastors. Like this, you know? yeah, and it's the same thing with pastors, too, because right. they're put on this pedestal, and, yes. I mean, the pastors, like, that's their, I mean, that's what they've trained that's for, but these these Christian bands, I mean, they were just, no disrespect, dumbass 20-year-old sure. dudes yeah. basically touring around, avoiding responsibility and looking for pussy. Like, (laughs) and having that touring touring lifestyle, but also having this weight of I need to be a one hundred percent clean role model for children. Uh I'm a twenty year old dude in a band, and I need to be a role model for children. I'm Jesus representative. Like, dude, I would be smoking ten cigarettes and down in five shots of whiskey before the show. Like, unbelievable pressure. Yeah. And some of them were the sweetest, most awesome people ever. And I will never forget those guys that came into Club Three Degrees and treated me with respect Mm. because it didn't happen that often. As a woman... Waiting on someone in a band. Yeah. yeah. It did not happen that often. So, people who came in and treated me with respect, I was overjoyed. Yeah. And, I mean, there was the total run of the spectrum. There was some of my favorite people coming in. You knew they would be the nicest dudes ever. Mm. They would go get a beer at Pizza Luce, they come back, they'd hang out with you, they would treat you with respect. If you try to get them chicken wings, they're like, oh, I feel weird. You're like, 
serving me right. with these chicken wings. Like, can I just get my own damn chicken wings? Like, and then there's the other dudes in the spectrum that are like, I want a protein smoothie with exactly three cups of this kind of protein powder in it, and this and this and this. And I mean, and then of course on the far, far evil spectrum is men who sexually take yes. advantage of women. And I mean, I, I saw the whole gambit, mm. and I mean, it was it was unbelievably detrimental to my my faith that I clung to for so long. Sure, yeah. But where I am now, that I, I'm so happy mm-hmm. that I was able to examine that. Even if it was caused by something as weird and bizarre as a Christian music scene. Mm-hmm. But whatever. If it if it got me there, I'm not I'm not complaining. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm looking at Joshua right now. And I think with your story of academia, it seems a little more I don't know, distinguished. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. That's just my insecurity talking. <laughs> so this is a picture of me and Angela when we were in high school. What? I was in high school. <laughs> you were in college, right? I was freshman year in college, yes. Oh, my. F- that, sh- that should be the picture for the episode. Oh, yeah, totally. Wow. Do you notice the t-shirt under the t-shirt? Because <laughs> it would be too, too immodest. Yes. If I too was wearing the very top pack. of your cleavage. <laughs> Yeah, the very top. The collarbone is yeah. And Josh is like trying not to smile. <laughs> You're like putting so much effort into being serious. And I had a huge crush on him at the time, and I was rubbing hair dye into his head, and I was like, "This is the most sexual thing ever." Skin on skin. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my. God. Um. <laughs> I love. It is the most awkward, amazing picture ever. My ratty-ass highlights. My eyebrow ring and my stupid (laughs) necklace. Oh my god, it's the best. That's amazing. I love it. Oh my god. Look at your arm has no tattoos on it. My arm has no tattoos, but my favorite part is the t-shirt over the t-shirt. Yes. (laughs) Heaven forbid I show more than just my neck. Now, did you decide to wear the extra t-shirt, or was that like from a parent or something? No, that was me. Yeah. That was me, modest is hottest. <laughs> Lord in heaven. Um, oh my yeah, God. that was my my state at the time. So, um, so my deconstruction started innocuously. Um, so I grew up Catholic, was a believer. Then I met evangelicals and was swung. Like, these people are living their faith. These people are studying the Bible, these people are mm. talking about the Holy Spirit, these people are doing something that I want to do. So I became an evangelical, and at the time I was actually dating a girl who was Buddhist, and I broke up with her because wow. I thought we were unequally yoked. And so, Did you get that term from Catholicism or no, from, from evangelicals? Okay. So like, what was your mindset when you met evangelicals? Like, What was your perspective on Christianity and on living out Christianity when you first met even like was it was it really like oh these people are more authentic than I am or yes. these people are doing something about the words of the scriptures these people are talking about it 
the funny thing is they weren't doing shit. Um, they were just <laughs> talking about it, but they were talking about it in a way that I'd never heard before. And so it was very appealing to me. Okay. And then I got really into Kent Hovind and Ken Ham and into into Dr. Creation, Dino into creationism and so Dr. I, Dino so I became oh, shit. YouTube Dr. Dino if you haven't our new sponsor heard of yeah. it. wasn't that that was Ken Hovind right yeah, yeah. Dr. Dino yeah so um, I don't think it's a real doctor no but, no, uh, no probably not but, I no one gets that quote, kind of doctor Dr. Dr. Dino um, but I I watched his entire series on VHF VHS, not VHF. What am I talking about? UHF? No, VHF. Um, so I listened to his whole like ten series that right. I, I borrowed from a friend's dad. And oh, which um, friend? Carl Gaudian. Yes, please. Hey, Carl. Love Hi, you. Carl. Miss you. Um, but doesn't he dad, work at the Creation Museum? I don't know, dude. I grew up like thirty minutes away from the Creation Museum. <gasps> Straight up. Who's the but, guy who runs the Creation Museum? Uh, Ken. Ken. Yeah. Uh, Answers in Genesis. Dot, dot org, I think. But I got his book and became a hardcore uh, young earth creationist. So much so that when I was a senior in high school, I went to a Christian camp and gave talks about it. And my talk was so popular that the 500 kids at camp, there was like nine speakers, no, not maybe like five speakers, and everyone from the camp went to my talk. So like wow. now I deal with the guilt of like being a person of authority <laughs> telling all these kids that they should be young earth creationists. It also probably was the fact that you were super traditionally hot at the time. <laughs> Before I got fat and old. Um, no. <laughs> no. But you were... I was very charismatic. Uh, and very hot. Well, because my talk was... You're, I would you're in that picture, you were a dark, tradi- sexy tradi- man. Traditionally, <laughs> traditionally, like, Abercrombie hot. Like, you worked at Hollister for a reason. Oh, God, Only no, don't bring that up. Hot oh, yeah. people work at Hollister. You can't run from this one, Josh. Yeah, I got you cornered over here. being an asshole. Um, so, I gave this creation talk. I gave them, like, because it was so earnest. Like, it was just, that's what I believed. Mm. And I, you know, interjected humor and all the kind of stuff. Totally stole lines right from Kent Hovind. You know, and put it right in the thing. Did you know? Had all my scientific. I'm doing dick quotes right now. Uh, dick finger quotes. <laughs> dick, quotes. Um, dick finger quotes. Um, just saying, like, yeah, this is part. You know, science is on this, it's on that. And Ken Ham was like, whoa, 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 you quoted science to support young Earth creationism. Christian science. So uh, you know, not Christian science, but Christian science. Yes. yes okay. Yes. Um, so uh, biased versions of science that said the earth was this long, like, things about, like, the moon would have more dust on it, and, um, the earth, you know, like, carbon dating doesn't work because of this and this and this, and dinosaurs and humans live together, and, like, I believed all those things, and it was because, I think it was because it was so different, it's funny because that was my rebellion, (laughs) that's so shitty, but, like, my rebellion from, like, boring Catholic Mm -hmm. orthodoxy was, these evangelicals know what the fuck's up. So as a Catholic, you were raised to believe that evolution and science were factual. Yeah. So then what... I'm just so fucking curious right now. What converted a person who was scientifically minded to embracing young earth creationism? Well, I even taught... Uh, I was the student teacher for anatomy in high school. 
So like science was my my, my game plan. So when I went to oh my uh, god, Bethel, <laughs> when I went to Bethel University, my <laughs> I'm in space right now. I didn't even know that. So when one I'm learning was just something like new. On her yeah. fucking forehead. So my uh, I had no idea you science, were a science student teacher. Science was my favorite subject. Uh, wow. science, I'm <laughs> learning something um, new today. Oh so my god. When I so when I started college at Bethel College before it was the year before it changed to Bethel University, my major was molecular biology. That was my major. And so I took my molecular biology classes, and I got all A's. And mitosis and all of those sort of processes in science don't change. And that was boring to me, because the answer is always going to be the same. Mm. So mitosis will always be the same. Uh, photosynthesis will always be the same. It doesn't vary. It, I mean, it does sometimes, but uh, I, I'm not a scientist anymore. Um, but I took an intro to philosophy class. And a teacher was like, you don't know the answers, and you don't know shit about life. Okay. And that was super appealing to me, so I switched from a molecular biology major to a philosophy major, um, which that's kind of where my deconstruction started. Mm. Um, even Maybe even before that, I would say switching from Catholicism to evangelicalism, that was even where it started, because I was looking for the deeper, truer thing. Mm. So, so you're looking for mysticism, essentially. I don't you're think so. Like, I think I was looking for the answers. I was looking for the truth, capital T. Mm. You know? Okay. Um, and then, being a philosophy major, I realized I don't have access to truth, capital T. I just have access to truth, lowercase t. Okay. okay. So that's you know existentialism, um, how your lived experience works out in the world, and how you perceive yourself in the world. Um, there was a book I read called The View from Nowhere by Thomas Nagel. Which, when I first read it, I was like, God damn it, I've thought these things before, why didn't I say this? You know, like, fuck you for getting that, <laughs> that before me. Um, but, still in philosophy, I was still, so I was a dual major of philosophy and biblical theological studies, with a uh, minor in ancient Greek. So I was trying to get to the truest form of the thing, so I was, you know, when you go to a Christian school, and you're studying the gospel... You start to just get down to nitty gritties, like okay, so this gospel tells us this about Jesus, and this gospel tells us this, and you start to compare. And there's a whole section evangelicals where they're trying to harmonize the gospels, right, right. And you're like, well, why are you trying to harmonize them? And it's because when you look at them in totality, they're totally in disarray. Sure, yeah, and they don't agree with each other. No, so harmonizing them is was still sort of the the thing for me of like, okay, so the Bible's complicated, it's complex. But there's a main story here. There's something that goes through everything that's to the root of it that God wanted us to know. Um, so you give a lot of a lot of leeway to say, yeah, this gospel says this and this gospel says this, but would you really expect all of the, the reporting about Jesus to be the same? Because eyewitness accounts are always varying. Right. And they always change. So if these people who are writing the gospels are eyewitnesses, I mean, they're... I mean, the first gospel isn't for like 30 years after yeah, Jesus right. was there. Um, I don't know if that's the exact number um, of, of years. I'm sure I, we can look that up. No, but, yeah, it's at least a couple decades. Yeah, it's a couple. It's a, it's it's a couple decades after. Yeah, and so why would those eyewitness accounts be valid afterwards? And especially since we don't really know who wrote them, or like they're assigned names, you know. Um, but so I was trying to get at the deeper root of Christianity, and the deeper I dug the more you find out and the more you, that you find out the more it affects your faith life 
And so you believe this because X pastor told you this. You believe this because your friends believe this. You believe this because this is where you are, the context you're in. Um, those people believe it. Why would you think they're lying? And I don't think they're liars. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say I wouldn't go that far. I think they're they're earnest folks, or earnest people of faith, who were told a story, and you know the greatest story ever told. <laughs> um, and you, at a certain level, I just wanted it to be true. I just wanted it to be true so bad because it had become the expression of my life. So. The reason I did things because I was a Christian. I second reason, that. Yeah, the reason I, the reason I did this is because I'm a Christ follower. Yep. The reason I yep. did this is because it's what you're supposed to do if you're a Christian. Yeah. Um, but then when you dig deeper and look at the historical reference, and lots of people say, well, if you look too deep in his, into the historicity of Jesus, you'll lose the meaning. You'll throw the baby out the bathroom. Right. Right. You'll you're not getting the teachings of Jesus, but that's very mystic. And Christianity is, it lends itself to mysticism, but also tries to stamp it out as much as possible because it wants the church to be there. It wants the church to be the institution on the earth that is Christ's mouthpiece to that. Because we don't really have prophets anymore. That's one thing that we're like, yeah, you can be a pastor, but you shouldn't be a prophet. And some denominations totally are prophets. Um, but that's, I, in the last 50 years, I don't think I could mention one who's done anything good that wasn't shown to be a sham. Right. You know, or toned to be, like, totally self-servant. Right. Um, so I think my inception into Christianity um, and getting to dig deeper, that's the innocuous part. Like, I was trying to learn as much about my faith as I possibly could, and by learning that about my faith, things just started to crumble. Mm. Things just started to go downhill, and... And by downhill, is it wasn't as credible as other sources. So, like, it's not like science where you test something, you get a result. You do the same test, you get the same result. You do the next test, you get the same result. Christianity, you can go to one part of Christianity and have a completely different result as another part. Mm-hmm. And what and it's good, and it can be good and bad in both places. I know great people have come out really strange, weird, like Assemblies of God, um speaking in tongues prophet churches who are doing really good things for the world but there's also a lot of people who are just fucked up and they will never go back to the church because you know for example if you grew up in a conservative church and you're gay that's not gonna fly no you know and so the conversion therapy like I have a friend oh my fucking god conversion therapy yeah it's, it's awful it's oh, a, that's a whole podcast in Memphis. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my I, fucking I, God. I, I would consider that torture. Yeah. And I don't think anyone should be tortured. And it's like reprogramming. It's well, like... The funny thing is, when, so I after I was going through this deconstruction, I started a small community, or helped start, with the help of great friends, a community called Das Community, where we tried to share as much as we possibly could. So there was like nine of us living in this small house. We shared food. Um... We tried to share rent and tried to share utilities, but, like, it never quite worked out because we were just college kids. Sure. Yeah. But we we did enough that other communities of faith uh, reached out to us. And so at the time, it was, like, when Shea Clayboard's community was big. What's this community called? Oh, not, not, no. the, not the Potter Street Collective, but... But the Irresistible Revolution, when that came out, that was big, and we were doing kind, of, we were kind of using them as a model and trying to do as much as we could with them. 
Um, I'm going to look it up right now. And that's when I became friends with Mark Van Schema because we were in seminary together at the same time. And I was starting when he was finishing. But I remember asking Mark Van Schema to be my mentor, and he said no. And he said, I think we just have a shared theological memory, and we should just be friends. A shared theological memory? Yeah, which I was, I told him like years later, like even like I think a couple months ago, I told him that. And he was like, that sounds like something I'd say. Um, Where's he at right now? Mark is at uh, the Center for Prophetic Imagination in Minneapolis. Okay. And it's he's one of the co-directors with a trans individual named Zed. And they're doing really interesting, like, I wouldn't say, I would say maybe modern-day prophet work. So they're calling out the system, and they're speaking truth to power. So you do believe in prophets? Um, well, I think their prophets don't have to be religious. So, like, uh, people can say things and speak, speaking truth to power, I think, is what I call prophetic. Okay. So when someone... I like how you turn that phrase around. Yeah. When someone calls, like, calls out billionaires, because I think the word billionaire in a hundred years will be the same as slaveholder, I hope, because I don't think people should deserve to have that much money, and when the rest of us, it's a little... I just, and yeah, I'm a, now I'm not a bleeding heart liberal, but I do believe in Jubilee. I believe in the, you know, like, the forgiveness of debts and the redistribution of wealth. I believe in that. But that's also part of my deconstruction. It's like learning the deep heart of um, the Jewish tradition, the Jewish faith, of that we're all the same people and we all, we all deserve the same things. We all deserve to be family. Um, and it's, I mean, if you really want to be religious in this world, it's hard. So, like, most people who really want to be, like, be like Jesus should become Jews, I think. Because Jesus was a Jewish prophet. He's not a Christian. You know? Um, And there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, the system we have isn't okay, and we can move it. So, So my deconstruction started in those little ways, but the big ones, like... The Trinity was always a thing that I never really believed in because yeah. it was just—it just seems so manufactured. Um, mm-hmm. It's not biblical, you know, in yeah. essence. Yeah, in essence, but you can draw. Like that's the thing with the you Bible can. is you can basically you say can, whatever you want by yeah. re, you know reinforcing yourself with any verses. Exactly. Yeah. But after seeing how the Bible was put together, seeing how the canon was canonized, um, seeing how diverse voices in the Christian community in the first and second centuries were squelched and they were delegitimized, saying, no, you can't believe Jesus wasn't divine. You can't believe Jesus wasn't God. You can't believe that this, and so you've got all these councils, you know, preceding, you know, the Christianity we have now. Um, And so, like, studying the first century, like, there's a great book called The Christians as the Romans Saw Them, which is, it's such a boring read. But they thought thought of them as atheists, they thought of them as pacifists, they thought mm. of them as, like, just freeloaders. You know, like, you're not willing to fight for our country? Fuck you. You know, you're you're not willing to sacrifice for our gods? You're probably an atheist. Um, and wow. Just That's so, so tied to state power. And it's a boring read. There's also another book called Social Distinctions of the Christians in the First Century. Bore. Such a boring <laughs> read. But it's... It shows that Christians in the early centuries were by and large pacifists refused to fight refused to be involved in war because of Jesus caused turning of the cheek um, they refused to participate in government uh, they refused to say that you're in charge so I'm going to just beg to you and plead to you they said no God's in charge 
You know, like when Jesus says, when someone says Jesus is Lord, they used to say Caesar is Lord. Right. Yeah. So they're mm-hmm. saying, in effect, they're saying, well, Caesar isn't anymore. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, I know Shane Claiborne talks about this, but um, I think it was Mother Teresa who said, you know, they said when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God. And she said to the effect of, well, once you've given God what's God, what's God's, there's not much left for Caesar. And that's something that I, I love that. I think that's great. Um, but living a life of resistance is not easy. And so, like, I was... So I'm not doing as much as I think I should be doing. Um, I think I should be resisting more. But honestly, I'm just, at this point, not willing to do it. I don't, it's not that I have so much to lose. It's that there's not much to gain. Because the system's so stacked against us. So... I would love to, like, when, uh, so last year, the Black Lives Matter protest happened, a bunch of folks, um, cut off, uh, the Freeway 94, they actually just stood across oh, it, right. and wouldn't mm-hmm. let people go across, and I was thinking about that, and people were like, that's so stupid, they're just inconvenient traffic, and they're, you know, this is a bad way to protest, and I'm like, no, it's not a bad way to protest, they're actually inconveniencing, inconvenien- inconveniencing your life so that you have to take note of to what think they're doing, it, yeah. to mm-hmm. think about it. And when I was watching the news coverage, I was like, oh, it's my friend Jared. He's right there oh, on the wow. bridge. And I was like, should I go down there? And I didn't. Um, mostly just because I was tired. Mm-hmm. You know, like, sure, that's the thing. Like, people want to be revolutionaries. People want to be prophets. People want to be pastors. But most of the time, people just want to be comfortable. And wow. so I think my deconstruction, part of that is... I saw so many folks who were just comfortable. Pastors with cushy jobs, sermons that weren't offensive, you know, not speaking truth to power. But you've got you know, 3,000 members of this congregation, you've got all this money. And what are you using it for? To make your building better? You know, to build another building? To That, that just seems so like a cop-out to me. Like, we yeah. want to do this message of Jesus and do this, you know, like Jesus was crucified as a rebel. Like, he wasn't crucified as a churchgoer who was like, well, I was just on my way to, to church, and then I was bringing these cookies over to Samantha, and I was checking on the elderly, and then they just fucking crucified me. It's like Jesus was That's sick. an amazing Jesus voice. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. I didn't know Jesus sounded so effeminate. That's what, Ara- that's what uh, Aramaic sounds like. Oh, um, okay. But it's just the message of Jesus is so biting. Even though it's censored in the Gospels, it's still radical. Yeah. And I mean radical in the sense of overthrowing oppressive powers. Yeah. From the the perspective of Judaism at the time, it didn't make any fucking sense. I mean, and you'd even... And this is something... Maybe I'm I'm kind of jumping the gun a little bit here, but you said in Sacred Collective before about how a Jew wouldn't talk about eating flesh and drinking blood and and stuff like that. But, like, if if you could even entertain that as a concept... It's just the most radical stance that you could take in that time, in that in that period, as a Jew, you know, as a, a religious person. That's well, very non-religious. Saying your Lord, I mean, be like today, if someone just said, "I'm, just, I'm the president," I'm the president, States, right? Yeah. I mean, there is a president. Of the United very States. political, yeah. Um, it's it, yeah, and it's people don't like faith to be political, but it is. Um, there's no way around it. So my deconstruction comes from lots of study and lots of academic places, but it mostly comes from just tragedy. So like I, so from my divorce, uh, losing friends, losing um, another family, you know, that you're married to, um, have, like not having to move, choosing to move across the country and start over, 
and you know nights of just screaming and hollering at the moon you know nights of like praying with you know tears in your eyes you know wringing your hands not being able to sleep because why isn't God helping why didn't God fix this why didn't you know you've been so faithful for all this time why is this happening to you and then realizing that there isn't anything there mm. there is no God um at least in the in the sense of the Christianity no, yeah sure um but you've just got your your collective self and then your group of friends and that's more than enough as long as you're honest and open like having good friends is the best church you know like having people you can be honest with is the most authentic expression of Christian spirituality that I think there is oh fuck having folks that you can just be yourself with and not have to hide that is the church to me that is the essence of Christianity in the most blatant form being being naked in front of someone not literally naked but like emotionally naked yes. in front of someone and just saying you know I don't have everything figured out I don't have the answers and life is hard sometimes that to me is the essence of religion of being like I'm alone in the dark but as I'm bumbling around I feel someone's hand and so I hold that hand and then we bumble around together in the dark. And then I find another person, and I find another hand, and we start to fuck around in the dark together. Not literally fuck around in the dark, but like, <laughs> we start to... I didn't think that. We start to, yeah, we start to bumble through the dark together. Ooh. And we now start, I'm... Oh. Yeah. Oh. We start to not figure out the universe or figure out right. the deep questions of the earth, but we start to say, wow, there are other people who don't have those questions mm-hmm. either. Because I think yep. our Christianity in America sells us a bill of goods that says... You'll be whole and complete. And when you find out that that's hollow, and that's pretending, that you just say, I'm not going to pretend anymore. Like, when I met Angela, it was... Since I'd been married and divorced, which is like a black mark in America, of like, oh, it's divorce, it's probably damaged goods. Mm-hmm. But you say, I just want to be honest with you. And, like, now I get to choose... Because you know, I got married at 23, so I got married very young. Wow. And so um, when I got divorced, I was 27, and I was like, no, I get to choose now. Like, I get to be very specific, because I wanted a partner, not a wife, you know, um, someone who I could do life with. And I think a lot of people are scared of that, because they, I mean, so many folks just, their self-esteem is so low, they just don't think they can, they don't deserve someone great. And... I think people deserve what they choose. So, so if you choose to stay in a marriage that's not loving, that's that's your choice. You know, like not abusive. I'm not saying like a t- you know like a, a if you're in an abusive marriage, leave. You know, like sure. you just get out. But so many people just stay because they're afraid of the stigma. They're afraid of being told they're wrong and so when you get divorced you already have this mark on you like you made a terrible decision because you made one of the most important decisions in your life and it didn't work out right so there it must be something wrong with you versus just like we're all broken people and just trying to match each other the guy doesn't work so you have to figure out how to choose and even if you choose poorly like figure it out amongst yourself you know like oh and maybe go go to counseling <laughs> like seek as much help as you can but 
there are people in bad relationships that can get better. You know, like people can go to counseling and get better. Because I remember when my ex, when everything came out, uh, so my ex cheated on me. Um, and when everything came out, I asked her, like, should we go to counseling and can you not do this again? And she said no. Wow. And so that was the point where I just, I cut and ran. And I'm glad I did because a lot of people would have said, no, I'm going to stay and fight for this and figure it out. Right. And maybe be te- like terribly disappointed their whole the rest of their lives. You know, like, because that was an honest question. Like, can we go to counseling? It wasn't uh, like something added on at the end. But when she said no, that was the definite, like, no, this is over. Mm. And, like, this five and a half years of time I've invested in this is just done. And, like, so your world evaporates. And um, I don't think it matters how faithful you are when something that heavy hits you. You just, you don't be like, well, God will be okay. God's got it. You you have nothing. Yeah. And so... You and it's not like I had to rebuild my whole life. I still had great friends. Like I still have a lot of friends I had then, but those relationships are affected by the relationship, and that happens in any breakup. I think, you know. Um, but that and that wasn't the thing. Like even at that point, like even in my divorce, I was actually still trying to be faithful. It was the intellectual part of it that didn't fit for me, um, and then. It was like putting my wa- my my toe in the water at atheism and being like, well, I don't know how this fits. But it was like, no, your seminary education kind of led you here. Mm. Um, and you didn't have a reason to fake it. And so why fake it anymore? Like, why didn't it just be myself? Yeah. And sometimes that, like, when we first started dating Angela, that didn't, didn't really mesh with you because I'd, you know, be like, well, I'm just going to be myself. And, you know... Um, some of your friends who are much more faithful, you know, or um, conservative. All right, maybe not the best place to cut off this episode, but um, in the interest of retaining your commitment to this interview, I'm going to go ahead and cut it short and divide it into three parts, which will actually turn to a four-part episode um, on account of the fact that I recently did an additional interview with Josh and Angela. So please enjoy the coming episodes. Uh, I would also like to mention that I now do have a Twitter account which is my post-Christian Productions Twitter account. It is at post-Christian, so post-X-I-A-N pods. And you can find that on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Patreon. If you want to give me some free monies, I would not complain. So that's about it for this week. Hopefully, we'll be releasing this interview within a very, very brief period of time. I love you.
and learned from the priests to have new truths realized. Christ learned so he'd finally teach that God is man and man is priest. That God is man and man is production.